can go that way. All right. Good. If you have your Bibles, I would ask you to turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we'll be looking at a passage of Scripture where Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth was a church that would uh, maybe would fit in in our society uh, today and many places. It was a troubled church. It was a great church. It was a church at a great location. It was a church that could be what you would call today a mega church. It was in a very active city, multicultural city, a city of crossroads of commerce and trade route. A major city in the Roman Empire. And there was a Christian church there that struggled with their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their trust in Christ and how to live from day to day. What that would mean in the light of trusting Jesus. Going to the cross of Calvary and seeing the death of Christ and understanding that Jesus died for me. He didn't just die outside the city of Jerusalem on a hill called Golgotha or the place of the skull. He didn't just die a Roman crucifixion. He died a sacrificial offering for me, for my sins, for my shame, for my disgrace, for my rebellion. Understanding that we're not in some large, at-large group that stands out there that is unnumbered and unnamed. It is called a personal relationship with Jesus Christ because the Scripture teaches us that Jesus is interested and knows about us, my name, my thoughts, my attitude, my outlook, and all of those are important to the cross of Christ. We're not, we haven't just joined a, a group that is a masses of people where we can blend in and say, okay, I'm just here. I'm just kind of floating along. A number of years ago, I was sitting out in the edge of the woods and I was watching a snowfall, tremendous snowfall, just out of nowhere. It wasn't predicted. It wasn't supposed to happen. And it started snowing. It was cold, and the snow began to fall, and the big old flakes began to drop. And as long as those flakes were in the sky and, and highlighted against the green trees, and I could, I could keep them apart. I could tell that they were individual, and some of them were big, and some of them were smooth, and some of them looked like they had jagged edges to them and, and rough places to them. But I could see them individually and know that they were the individual snowflakes. But you know, after that ground was covered with snow, and that snow continued to fall as soon as it hit the ground, and it joined those thousands and thousands or millions, I don't know how many snowflakes it takes to cover the ground, but as it covered the ground, their individual life was gone. Their individual distinction, no longer could they be separated and divided, and you couldn't go there and pick up one snowflake because they were so different. So many times that we as Christians, we want to be like those snowflakes. We don't want to stand out. We don't want to be something that you can see and that you can point to and you can know that there's a rough edge here, there's a smooth edge there. There's a distinct difference in our life than other people's life. We like to be on that snow-covered ground where we kind of all look alike. 
And we all blend in so well that we can't be separated. And therefore, no one can really know or call on us to make a difference. And I want to tell you that that's not biblical Christianity. That's not biblical faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a personal relationship with Jesus. And you are an individual in Christ. And you are special, uniquely created by God for a purpose and a plan. He has a plan and purpose for your individual life. The church was struggling with this in Corinth. And they struggled with it, especially when it came time for the Lord's Supper. We just want to bring our outside life and bring it and plant it over in the church. And we want everybody to be okay with it. It's all right. Don't, don't be confused by details. It's just good that I'm here. That's not always the case. And in the church in Corinth, as it had its many troubles, and if you don't, you say, well, preacher, I don't know about the struggle of the church at Corinth. Well, know this. There are two letters recorded in the Scripture, First and Second Corinthians, but many Bible scholars believe that there are actually four letters in those two letters. And that Paul had made two trips to, to Corinth and was planning a third trip to go back to Corinth to straighten out the mess that was there. And if you say, what kind of mess? Just start reading and, and read through the book of Corinthians and you will see what kind of mess. Immorality, prejudice, distinction, social standings, those who are the haves and the have-nots were divided and separated within the church. It had problems. Just like the church today has problems and struggles with problems. And Christ and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God is always calling us back. Calling us back and reminding us that we need to stay Christ-focused. And we need to stay Christ-centered in all of our life. And we need to understand that our personal life does matter. It is a reflection of the kingdom of God when we get up from this place on Sunday morning and we go out into Vicksburg, Mississippi and Warren County and we participate in all the things that we participate in. We are speaking about the kingdom of Christ, whether we utter a word or not, by our actions and our attitudes and our outlooks. From everything, we are speaking of the kingdom of Christ and we are a reflection of the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ and of this body of believers called Woodlawn. Everywhere we go, we started meeting in, as a team and getting ready to go to Honduras sometime last fall, our first early meetings. And then we started in the winter in January meeting with a group and trying to get as many to attend and come as we could. It was impossible, though. We had, we had people from Utah and we had people from Indiana. We had people from Texas. We couldn't get them all together. I went to Indiana and sat down with the group there in Cage Church and began talking to them and telling them, there's some things that you need to know. We're going to be a team, and we're going to be a team for Christ. We're going to go to Honduras, and we're going to have a good attitude about everything. We're going to enjoy everything that we do. You see, the individual who stands in that kitchen for long hours working is going to have a good attitude. That individual who goes out and picks up trash in, around the compound where we're staying is going to have a great attitude. That individual who stands and washes dental utensils. Boy, they pulled 700 and something teeth while we were there. But that individual who washes those dental utensils and sterilizes them is going to have a great attitude and in Christ is going to smile and lift up the kingdom. And that person that goes and cleans those bathrooms 
And those shower facilities that we're going to be using while we're there, they're going to have a great attitude in Christ. Everyone is a reflection of the kingdom of God, and we're going to have that attitude in Christ. We must have not only that attitude in Christ, we must have that that life that backs that up. And so when it came time for the Lord's Supper, there is no wonder, there there is no reason why there wouldn't have been controversy within the church. They called it their love feast, and we begin in chapter 11, verse 17. And Paul writes to them, and listen to what he says, just right off, as he starts this introduction of a problem during the communion, having the Lord's Supper, during this time of having and participating in Christ together as a church. Now, in giving the following instruction, I do not praise you. In other words, these are not good words about what you're doing. I'm not lifting you up and patting you on the back and telling you how good you are doing. I'm about to address a problem in the way you conduct yourself in what should be a holy and sacred moment as the family of God. Folks, I can tell you for certain with truth and honesty that when my father corrected me as a young child... There was nothing about it that I thought was praise. When he, in his terms, gave me that old woodshed experience, I never felt like wasn't that so encouraging. It was uplifting, but it wasn't encouraging. It was harsh, and it hurt, and it was painful. It was, however, for my good. And so as the Holy Spirit, remember who's doing this. It's not Paul doing it, okay? It's the Holy Spirit guiding the Apostle Paul to write this letter. This is God speaking. This is God's Word. It's not Paul's Word. Sometimes we get confused and we want to say, well, Paul is the author, so it has to be his words. Absolutely not. It is the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is guiding the Apostle Paul to write this letter. And he says, my church is wrong. My church is conducting itself in a way that's not fitting in the kingdom of God. And we're going to address it, and we're going to change it. Paul will say in his second letter, look, if you don't correct this, when I get there, we're going to correct it. I'm going to deal with it. So you can get it right now, before I come, or you can wait till I come. But we're going to deal with this issue. Today, we'd like to forget that any issues are there. So, when I'm giving you this instruction, I do not praise you, since you come together, not for the better, but for the worst. Wow. I thought we came together this morning for the better. I thought that's why we would meet every Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, that it would always be that we would come together as a body of believers for the better, so that we could be lifted up by the Spirit of God and the Word of God, and we could be encouraged in our daily walk with Christ. But Paul says, you're not doing that. You've come together for the worst. Wouldn't you say, wow, I want to tell you what I would feel as a pastor if on Sunday morning when you walked out of the church on Sunday morning, you said, well, I'm no better off today than I was yesterday. I'd say, I failed. I didn't listen to God's Spirit. I didn't follow. I wasn't prayerful enough. I wasn't in tune enough to to the needs of the church if I totally missed it. I know sometimes I preach a dud. It happens. You throw a pitch, it's supposed to be a curveball. It's way outside, low and in the dirt. 
He doesn't make it for some reason. That happens. It happens. But if people walked out of the service and said, I'm, I am worse off than I was before I went in to the church, what would it be like? Sunday in and Sunday out. Listen to what it For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. Here's this issue. Here's a problem that we see. The first problem he, he, he addresses within the church. When we come and together today, we partook of the Lord's Supper together. It was like we were eating off of the same piece of bread. I have some good friends that live up in the uh, Greenwood area. We were, I was their pastor for some time, and Dot Roberts and, and Bud Roberts were close friends of ours. He was a deacon in the church, but Miss Dot, she grew up out there in, in Carroll County, at the edge of Carroll County, and, and she just, she had a different thing about life. I mean, she did. She loved life. And when we would get together, and, and we loved to go out, and we would eat together, but there's one thing that Miss Dot would do that just, I, just, I just don't do. I promise you, I'm not going to do this. We go out to eat together. I'm not going to do this. She would look at your plate and say, that looks good, and just take her fork and say, well, there, and get a bite off your plate. What? Keep your hands to yourself. Well, it looks so good. I wanted to try it. And you got it. I didn't, so I'm going to try it. Look, I'm not together with you like that. It's okay if Gail wants to do that. And I get a little frowny when Gail does it. But that's okay if Gail, she's my wife, you know. If we sit down to eat and she said, oh, I want to taste that, that's okay. But I found out this was common. This was something she did. And Gail and her did it the whole time. Just shared. Okay, try it. Try what we got. And I said to her, keep your hands off. This is mine. I want to tell you what we did this morning. We ate from the same plate. The body of Christ. We ate the bread from the same plate. It's the body of Christ. If we're going to put our hands together in the body of Christ and partake of the same bread, there cannot be division among us. Can't be. We drank from the same cup. I tell the story of going to a funeral, and it was an unusual funeral, and uh, there were a lot of rednecks there in this funeral, and, and I was one of them. But they were there. It was an outside funeral, and I had never participated in a funeral like this. I don't even know what denomination. But they believed in the common cup, that everybody would have communion, and they would drink from the same cup. Now, it's an outside funeral down here in the middle of the woods in, in Amit County, and I'm standing there. I go there because the, my high school football coach's son has died. And I go there out of respect for my high school football coach and travel a long way to get there. And I'm standing there, my brother and several of his friends and guys that I played ball with in high school. I knew all of them were standing there. And they're kind of a rough lot, okay? They're spitting to snuff on the ground and, and that kind of stuff out there because, hey, we're in the woods and it doesn't matter. We're not in church. They wouldn't do that in church, by the way. Most of them wouldn't anyway. And so they, they were doing that. And, and so it came time in the funeral service where they where they had the common cup. And the priest that was doing the communion began to walk around with the common cup. And I'm looking down there and I'm thinking, okay, he just spit on the ground. And he's drinking out of that cup. My brother punched me and said, you going to drink out of that cup? I said, absolutely not. I'm not drinking. He said, neither am I. I'm not drinking after that bunch. You know what kind of characters they are. And I said, yeah, I know. I know what they got in their mouth, too. 
I'm not drinking. Do you know we all drink out of the same cup this morning? The blood of Christ. We all drink from the same cup. There can't be any division. There can't, listen to me. There cannot be division in the body of Christ because we eat the same bread. The same body died on the cross, hung there, nailed there. The same blood ran down that cross. We drank from the same cup. Division cannot be. When you see a church divided, then know this. That church is out of fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. When we are out of fellowship with one another, we are then out of fellowship with the Lord. Paul said, I know there is division. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper. Listen to what he says. You came together, but you didn't really come together to eat the Lord's Supper. You didn't come to really together to order or to, to give honor and glory and praise to Jesus. You see, this service this morning was not about the men who were lined up here. It was not about the verses that I read. It was not about the way it was served or who was served first or who was served last. I do give thanks for the position of pastor that one thing that has been true for the last 39 years in that every Lord's Supper that I've taken part in, I've always been served last. Thank you. May it be so for the next years. He said, you come together to eat the Lord's Supper. It's supposed to be about Jesus. And there's unity in the body of Jesus, not division. There's no quarrels in the body of Christ. There's no, there's no separation in the body of Christ. He moves on down. Listen to what he says. You come together in one place, it is not relief to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of the others, and one person is hungry while another is drunk. You don't have houses. Don't you have houses to eat and to drink in? Or do you look down on the church of God and embarrass those who are among, uh, who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you for this. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This is cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. So a man should examine himself in this way. He should eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Wow. So the Holy Spirit spoke to Paul. It is the Lord's church. This is not Paul's church. Just like this church is not my church. This is the Lord's church. And every church that is a church belongs to the Lord. Do not identify it by where it is located. Or do not identify it by the pastor that stands in the pulpit. Or by the leading congregational member who attends there. Identify it always as the Lord's church. And the Lord said to the Apostle Paul, through his Holy Spirit, write to this church and make sure they know you are not praising them for the way they are acting. There is division among them. There is greed among them. There is separation because some have and some do not. Today, as we gather here in our congregation, know this. 
the body of Christ is splintered in Vicksburg this morning. We cannot gather together as a people. We're separated by culture. We're separated by languages. We're separated by so many social issues that surround us. There is separation and there's division. Christ died for all. The blood was shed for all. If you are here today and you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you believe that you are saved, your sins are forgiven, you believe your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, and that when you die you're going to have eternal life, let me share with you it is by the grace of God through Jesus Christ and only in Jesus Christ that you have that assurance. Nothing you do, nothing you know, nothing you have accomplished, nothing you have bought, nothing you have purchased, nothing you have gained in your entire life, Christ and Christ alone. Christ-centered salvation, Christ-centered redemption, and only in Christ. We cannot, when we begin to think of ourselves as more highly than we should, we become like the church at Corinth. We begin to draw in lines that we're not like those who are reprobates and sinners. We're not like those who have, who have some way lost their way and, and have not accomplished in life what we have accomplished. We have set ourselves apart by our education or our social standing or maybe by the color of our skin. Who knows what it might be? And yet it was the blood of Christ that saved us and redeemed us, not we ourselves. Paul said, there is division, and I know it is true, because I have a report of how you conduct yourselves in the, at the Lord's Supper. It is obvious that this supper was not like what we conducted just a minute ago. It was a meal. It was a feast. It was a festival. You know, I, 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 I do weddings. I have a wedding on the calendar right now, I think. January, February, Michelle, what day is it? January, okay, I'll, I'll be there. I'm on, I'll be here for that wedding. And I love those weddings. You know, I do. I enjoy going to weddings. And brides are so beautiful and the grooms are so handsome in weddings. They look a whole lot better than I did when I got married. You know, they are. They, 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 they're just beautiful. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing, a wedding. And I told them one time they were in the wedding because we were we were at the wedding reception afterwards, and I mean this big table it was spread out there, and I mean a lot of food. And I said, you know, if they ever quit having receptions, I'm not going to do any more weddings. I really don't go to see the bride and the groom married. I just go to make sure you know I get in on the reception. That's why I do them. This was a festival. It was a feast. It was a time of coming together in fellowship. It was an old-fashioned. Dinner on the ground experience. But it was in the love of Christ. It was called the Lord's Supper. It was a time they came together to eat the bread and to drink of the cup. And remember the death of our Lord and Savior until He comes. May the church never walk away from it. I know young people, when we have the Lord's Supper, sometimes we think, because I thought this when I was a kid, young person growing up in church, you know, that's kind of old-fashioned. That's kind of that's something that maybe we need to have once a year or every, just occasionally have that. We don't need to have that. Maybe we ought to have it on a Wednesday night and not a part of the morning worship service. I want to tell you, if we can't come together on a Sunday morning and remember the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then we need to stay home. We don't need to call ourselves a church. We need to call ourselves a club, a social club, a gathering, something. Maybe we need to be a bunco club or something. But our purpose in coming together this morning is to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and make that the center of our worship. Never forget. Never walk away. And then there's that time that we need to because we can do it as a body. We could look as a body of believers and we could stand and look 
and think about what we do wrong and maybe how we could do it better, how we could be more sincere and more reverent and more worshipful in the experience. I tell you what I like. I'm going to say it right here in front of them. I sure like to see those deacons in suit and ties. Now, you can't say amen unless you're a deacon. You can't say, I want to see him in suit and tie every, every Sunday. You can't do that if you're not a deacon. But I do. They look so good. I believe if they'd stand in the mirror, when they got, look at the mirror when they got home, looking at that suit and tie and how good they look, they'd wear one tomorrow. Can't you see Eddie Smith cutting that hay on that old tractor in that suit and tie? Wouldn't he look good? He may not feel too good, but he'd look good. Oh, we look good. When we come into the house of the Lord, we ought to look good. We ought, to, we ought to, because we're coming together to worship in a holy, sacred hour. I mean, it is. Can we do it better? Can we do something different? Can we make it a little bit more special and unique? We can. We can try and we can do. We could do a corporate-looking corporate, corporate looking and corporately deciding, examining. But Paul doesn't call for a corporate Examining the Lord does not call for corporate body examining, examination. He says, let every man examine himself. Before he takes of the bread, before he takes of the cup, he should examine himself. This is every man, woman, boy, and girl who's going to pick up that piece of bread, the body of Christ, and going to pick up that tiny cup which represents the new covenant in the blood of Christ, must examine his own heart, or her own heart, own life. How do I represent Christ? Not in this place at that particular hour, but in every phase of life. Out here in this, in this community, off at college, on the college campus, in the classroom over at Warren Central, or whatever school you may be involved in. In the workplace, in every factory, in every home, every business that we represent. How do we represent Christ there? Examining the whole life. Have you ever gotten dressed and realized you wasn't dressed? You go to Honduras and for some reason you just, you're in, in all the travel and especially it seems like, J.D., on that last day when we're trying to get everybody back to where they're supposed to be and get them all through the, the airports and all on the right flights and headed in the right direction where they can all get home safely. And, and we can say, I'm done with them, Lord. I want to tell you, if I was the Lord, I would have thrown most people out already. I said, I ain't fooling with them no more, Lord. I'm done. But when we're trying to do that and get everybody back, and it's just, it just gets on your mind and you really can't think. And, and, and you come back the next day and you're trying to put together, okay, what am I doing now and what's next? I looked at the calendar and I thought, what month is it? And I said, oh, we had 4th of July, so it must be July. So I start there trying to find a point and, and reference out from there. You know, the first thing I wanted to do when I got back to the United States, I went in my house, 1.30 in the morning on Wednesday morning, went in my house, went around the bar there. I did speak to Gail when I went in. I spoke to Gail, hugged her, but then I went right around by the kitchen and went right on the bar, and there was my billfold. And I picked up my billfold, and I put it in my back pocket. Thank you, Lord, I'm dressed. I'd been gone seven, eight days and didn't have a billfold, and I felt like something was missing the whole time. That's a little thing, preacher. 
I promise you, every man in here that has a billfold in his back pocket understands what I'm talking about. When you walk off without it, or a belt on, my goodness, without your belt. I'm not going to be in the new fashion and the new fad with my pants hanging down almost to my knees. Not going to happen in my life. Unless in my old age in a nursing home somewhere, that's the style. I won't stay there if all possible. When we look in the mirror and we begin to examine ourselves, sometimes we look for the great big things and we forget that there are some small things in the Christian life that may not be so prominently out there for everyone to see, but they need to be corrected. They need to be dealt with. There's that attitude that we have in private with our family. There's those words that we speak sometimes when we're by ourselves and no one knows about. There's those thoughts that go through our mind that shouldn't be there. We need to take a deep look into the mirror and see what does not belong in the kingdom and what does. And we need to correct it. We need to quit putting off to another day. But let us as Christians today, because we come together and we eat out of the same plate and we drink out of the same cup and we worship and stand under the same blood of Christ in the same atonement, let us examine our hearts and are we really willing and ready to live our life for Christ everywhere we go in everything that we do. Paul said... I'm writing this letter to you, and this part of it, it's not good. I'm not praising you. Because you have so many problems and issues, and you come together and you take the Lord's Supper in such a manner that you disgrace our Lord because you haven't examined yourself. You say, oh, well, preacher, I don't have to worry about it. We're not going to really observe the Lord's Supper again until September. Excuse me, October. So i got three months. Not so. When we meet here Wednesday night, we're going to be meeting in the body of Christ under the blood of Jesus. Together as the body of Christ. And we need to examine ourselves before we meet then. We need to make sure we are ready then. Then, in that moment, in that hour, to come together to worship. Are you ready? First, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior at all? Have you come to a place where you understand that the blood of Christ shed at the cross of Calvary was for the forgiveness of my sins and your sins too? Excluding no one, He died for us. And by trusting in Him and calling upon His name, you can be saved. Do you know that? Have you accepted that? The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It is for us that Jesus died. You're here this morning you say, Preacher, I haven't accepted that. Then I invite you to this altar as soon as we give this invitation and start this invitation to Him. Do not hesitate. Do not falter. Do not slow down. Get here at this altar to accept Jesus Christ and call upon His name and be saved this morning.
You're here and you say, preacher, I know I'm saved. I came years ago, but I also know that my life is not what it should be. And if I stand honestly before the mirror of God and look at my life and my heart and my attitude and my spirit, my thoughts, my actions, when no one's looking, I know there needs to be change. And today would be a great day to rededicate your life to Christ, to come and offer yourself again before God and say, cleanse me and restore me. Ask for forgiveness and ask to be again lifted up. Let me stand on my feet again in your presence. You know, King David came to that place after his sin. He wanted to stand again clean before the Lord. Do you want to do that? Rededicating your life to Christ, whatever it might be, whatever decision you might be, it is all for the name of Jesus and no other name. There will be no one else acknowledged here in this building ever as Savior and Lord except Jesus, the Son of the living God. And we invite you to come for whatever reason in His holy name. Let us pray. Father, we come before Your great throne and we thank You for the blood of Calvary that flowed from Your Son, divine, holy, perfect blood, a lamb without spot and without blemish, sacrificing Himself for our sins. So, Father, this morning as we come in this time, we ask you to guide and to lead us. As we reflect on our own personal lives, we're not thinking about somebody sitting beside us, behind us, or in front of us. We're thinking personally about our life. Father, I pray this morning, let us not leave this building till we're right with the Lord and we stand in your righteousness and in your grace, in your mercy, whole and complete in Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving us an opportunity to come into this place in this hour on this occasion. Guide us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Brother Ryan comes and leads us in the hymn invitation, if you need to make a decision for Christ, I'll be standing here at the front. I invite you to come. Brother Ryan. I need thee every hour in 450.